Shavua Tov from Israel and welcome to this edition of our weekly Israel News Podcast for the week starting January the 17th, 2021. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by IsraTransfer.com, Israel's most trusted money exchange experts. My name is Adam Malaman and once again, I am your host for this weekly podcast, which summarizes the stories driving the news cycle in Israel this week. You'll find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, and a whole bunch of other places I don't even know the names of where podcasts can be heard. If you're hearing this for the first time and you enjoy it, as I very much hope you're going to, then please subscribe wherever you're listening so that you don't miss an edition. That's how it works. And a share, a like, a comment, that will be immensely welcome too. Uh, after the news summary, our feature interview will once again be with Daniel Engelsman, who's the co-founder of Israel Transfer. He's going to be offering some analysis on the sudden sharp drop in shekel exchange rates. That's right, a sharp drop. That occurred at the very end of last week, after weeks and weeks of the shekel trading at heights, which reached basically on Thursday heights that the dollar had not reached in over 30 years. Um, so this drop, which we saw on Thursday afternoon and Friday, was was a surprise. So uh, it's a good time to remind you all about the daily shekel rates and analysis videos, which Daniel and I post on Israel Transfer's Facebook and LinkedIn pages every Monday through Thursday. Okay, let's get to the stories which are likely to be driving the news in Israel this week. Once again, there are basically two subjects that are dominating, the elections and coronavirus. And I'm going to start with elections just because it's not coronavirus. Polling is showing that Prime Minister Netanyahu's re-election campaign is gathering momentum. Likud are now polling at 32 mandates, uh, which is pretty much what Netanyahu got in the last three elections. Of course, in Israeli elections, it's not how many mandates a party receives, but what it can demand in coalition negotiations. Gidon Saar's breakaway party from Likud is now polling at 17 mandates. Saar is today saying that while he'd be happy to serve with Likud in government, he won't join a coalition where Netanyahu is minister. He doesn't appear to be gaining any further support from voters for his former, par- from his, um, former party Likud, but he is picking up voters from the wreckage of Benny Gantz's blue and white. Um, they're showing polling figures that suggest they will barely make the threshold at five mandates. And uh, several key and senior MKs in his party, people like former head of the Israeli army, Gabi Ashkenazi, have already said they will not run uh, in this election for any party, never mind his. Uh, At least some of those centrist and centre-right voters that gave Gantz and Lapid uh, when they had their former partnership, uh, almost parity with Likud in the third elections, which happened last spring. Yes, I know it. Last spring, spring before. We just keep having elections. Anyway, they appeared to have turned to Sa'ar, uh, Sa'ar's aptly named New Hope Party. Meanwhile, the right-wing Yamina Party, led by former Defence and Education Minister Naftali Bennett, who at one point early in this election uh, cycle, we talked about a month ago, was seen as a possible replacement for Netanyahu. Uh, He was then polling over 20 mandates. He's now down to just 12 mandates, according to recent polling. And that pretty much repeats his pattern in the last couple of elections. Gantz himself has been making conciliatory speeches towards his former political ally, Yair Lapid, 
This is the person he abandoned to join this coalition with Netanyahu, something he'd said throughout that campaign that he wouldn't do. In fact, he ran ran on a very clear I'm not Bibi um, campaign. As you'd expect, the first reaction from those close to Lapid has not been positive to Gantz's approach. But Israeli politicians are nothing if not pragmatic, and we may see a rejoining of the partnership. How the public is going to view these games is going to be very interesting indeed. One voter demographic that I didn't expect to be discussing as possible voters for Likud are Israel's 2.1 million Arab citizens. Uh, But with internal uh, struggles in the Arab joint list, polling is suggesting that Arab MKs will drop from their current 15 mandates, which is the third largest in this Knesset, to just 11. So a significant percentage of the Arab demographic, known for high turnouts, is apparently going to cast votes for other parties than the Arab joint list. Bibi is sensing an opportunity. And he's been actively campaigning in places like Nazareth, uh, a predominantly Israeli Arab um, town, appointing a member of the Arab committee to a high slot on the Likud list. And a high slot means they will be uh, members of the Knesset for Likud after this election. And he's also been wooing Mansour Abbas, the leader of the Ra'am faction in the joint list, for his support in in votes, meaning he won't join the coalition, but he would support the next coalition. And that would involve um, deals that would benefit the Arab sector. So the suspicion is that Netanyahu's rise in the polls has in part been due to support from Arab voters. Who would have thought that would be something we'd be saying back in 2015, the first of these four elections, when he basically warned people to vote for Likud because Arab voters were going to support and come out in large numbers and support somebody else. Um, But there we are, the fickleness of Israeli politics. So let me just give you some background to this, because it it basically focuses focuses in on the joint list. That's essentially an amalgamation of all the Arab parties who have been running and sitting in the Knesset as one block for the past few years. As I explained a couple of weeks ago, there's a growing dissatisfaction with Arab members of the Knesset uh, from their communities, from their voters. The joint list voted against the Abraham Accords. That is um, basically the program established by the Trump administration that has led to the rapprochement with the UAE and other Arab states, Bahrain, Sudan, etc., Morocco. Even more immediate to Israeli Arab voters is the issue of clan violence and murders. This is plaguing the Arab towns. I mean, we're talking about really gang warfare between uh, major families in that community. The joint list refusal to engage with government, to sit in opposition, and therefore to use to not use the strength that their 15 mandates would give them in voting deals like we were talking about earlier. This has meant that their MKs have been able to do nothing to help tackle these very urgent problems in their community. And I've often said that they represent the Palestinian issues, but not their own core constituency. Meanwhile, on the left of Israeli politics, 
the Labour Party, which was the party of Ben-Gurion and who have been Israel's party of government for nearly 40 years, they're facing the bleak reality that they may well fail to have a single mandate in the coming Knesset. Yes, they're going to fall below the four mandates necessary to have representation for the first time in their history, which basically means in Israeli history. Labour have been there in one form or another since the beginning of the state. Their leader, Amir Peretz, lost a court battle a few days ago to avoid holding primary leadership elections for his party. And he said that he won't stand in those primaries or in the March elections. Instead, he'll be seeking the presidency when Ruvain Rivlin's term ends later this year. Meanwhile, senior Labour members on Thursday called on former party leader and former Labour Prime Minister Ahud Barak to return to the party and to return to the Knesset and run in the leadership primaries, which are set to take place in two weeks. OK, we can't avoid it. Coronavirus. As I record this, 2,046,729 Israelis, or approximately 25% of the population, have received their first shot of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, that's soon to be one more, as I'm getting mine tomorrow. Uh, now, over a quarter of a million Israelis have received their second jab as the rollout of stage two gets underway. Israel will almost certainly be the first country to fully inoculate its population. That means that Israel can fully reopen its economy before anyone else, as we will hear from Daniel Engelsman later in this podcast. This is contributing, a contributing factor to Israel's currency strength. Currently, Israel is in its third lockdown, and this is scheduled to end on Thursday. However, there's always a however, isn't there? However, due to the high level of positive COVID results, uh, which were close to 10,000 at the end of last week, um, Israel's coronavirus Sar Nachman Ash said today he thinks that Israel has no choice but to extend its third national lockdown. Um, however, and he said, I should say, he said on Israel's public broadcast, uh, broadcaster Can News, looking at the data today, there's no choice but to extend the lockdown for at least another week. However, the ultra-Orthodox parties were reported to be pushing to end the lockdown on schedule despite the bleak numbers. That's in order for them to open um, their schools and yeshivot um, to return young Haredim to Torah learning. Uh, this as well as being supported by Blue and White. So we'll actually see um, if, they, if they're going to listen to the experts. We can but hope. And I say that because this is expected to be the last of the lockdowns before that high inoculation rate that we just talked about um, basically has that impact of bringing down the numbers on its own until we get to a point where there'll be no more lockdowns. But... If we go back now with the R rate, that's the reinfection rate over one, the chances are in two or three weeks, the numbers will be so high again that there'll be no choice but to impose a fourth lockdown. Um, and the impact on business and on families is just, it's awful. So we're really hoping that, that this one is allowed to do what it needs to do. The government is also facing criticism um, for still allowing hundreds of people to arrive in Israel on flights from overseas. And Nachman Ash has said that he wants all travellers to Israel to take a corona test 72 hours prior to boarding their flights. Meanwhile, Israel is close to recording its 4,000th COVID-related death. 
What a number. And, re- and currently, 1,184 people are in serious condition, with 274 of them on ventilators. Uh, moving on. And as you may be able to detect, I have a slight English accent because I'm an English-born Israeli. And like most of my fellow Brits, my favourite topic of conversation is the weather. And we do have a lot of it in Britain. However, in Israel, that's a non-conversation starter because basically it's hot and dry for most of the year. That is not true this week, especially this Wednesday, when a major storm, the biggest storm and the coldest storm of the year, is expected to lash Israel, bringing very cold weather, large amounts of of rain and probable flooding to Israel's low-lying areas, as well as snow to higher elevations. There's even a a, a growing but small chance that Jerusalem, where I'm speaking from, will see snow for the first time in six years. used to be we got it every year for a couple of days, but uh, it's 2014, I think, was the last major dump that we got, or uh, 2015. We'll let you know what happens in next week's podcast. Sadly, due to COVID-19, it doesn't matter how much snow they get, the Hamon Ski Resort uh, in the very north of Israel, will remain closed uh, despite that snow. That's, of course, just one of the impacts of COVID. Okay, so let's move away completely from COVID elections and turn our attention to the United States. And Israel is looking with some concern at President-elect Joe Biden's policy towards Iran. It's been widely reported here in Israel that Biden, who will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States on Wednesday, intends to immediately open talks with Iran to re-enter the much-criticized Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or the Iran nuclear deal as it's generally known. This is despite several Middle, Middle East countries, including Egypt, Jordan, the UAE, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, as well as Israel, all urging him not to take this action lightly or too quickly. In a very strong statement, senior Likud MK and Netanyahu confidant Tzachi Hanegbi threatened that Israel could attack Israel's nuclear program if the United States rejoined the deal. Meanwhile, last week, Iran resumed enriching uranium to 20%, which is well over the threshold set out in the nuclear deal and close to the level of enrichment that's needed to produce nuclear weapons. That story is not going to go away, and that's for sure. We'll be talking about that again. Okay, and it's time for our feature story. The Israeli shekel. Um... The shekel strength has been the story for several weeks. We talked about it in, I think, our first of these podcasts. Uh, The dollar hit unprecedented lows Thursday morning here in Israel. I think it was 3.11 shekels to the dollar. And there were mutterings that it would go below three shekels. However, things have changed. I'm not going to give you any analysis of that. We're going to turn to an expert, Daniel Engelsman. And now I'm actually genuinely excited to welcome back uh, Daniel Engelsman to the podcast. Uh, Daniel and I generally do daily video analysis of the shekel rates. So basically, since uh, New Year, the New Year's Eve, we haven't been able to do that because Daniel has been, how should we say, unwell. It's basically been the longest New Year's hangover uh, in the history of mankind. So <laughs> he's back on his feet and back with us. And, and Daniel, how are you feeling? I'm great. I mean... Uh... Been a bit 
down, you know, um, like the dollar. And uh, now that it's all recovering a bit, I feel a bit better as well. So uh, you look you look a bit better. It was like 2020 gave you just one last punch to finish the year. <laughs> so listen, Daniel, I've been uh, carrying on the daily podcast, looking at the rates in your app since obviously I wasn't doing any analysis. But the last one I did was Thursday morning. And on Thursday morning, the dollar could buy you three shekels, 11. And that was on Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the pound was 425 and the euro was at 378. And that was the last one we put up. And we'd watched it. I watched it over the 10 days since I last did one of these podcasts with you. I'd watched it fall really rapidly, as you predicted, when it went below 3.3. Now, on Friday morning, I just glanced at the rates. And they had shot up. Um, I think right now the dollar is trading at about 3.27 shekels. So the shekel has weakened against a, a whole raft of currencies. So I thought this was a good opportunity mm-hmm. to get, you know, since you're back, to get you on and just ask you, what the hell's happening? <laughs> I, I think we should first start off by why the rates went so low in the first place. Um, you know, as you know, the beginning of the year, we said, you know, if this goes below 3.3, this will go to 310 uh, because there was nothing yeah. stopping the general push of the, the, the shekel strength and the weakness of the other currencies. So you've got to remember, first of all, we've got the COVID situation. Um, Israel is considered by most that we're dealing with the vaccination of our citizens better than anyone else in the world. Um, right. The and we're the test country for the world. We are. And, you know, if, if everything goes to plan, they, they believe that about 5.2 million of us will be fully vaccinated by the end of March. So it would be fair right. to assume that our economy is going to open fully well before anyone else in the rest of the world. And that is very positive for the Sheffield. And uh, that is one of the main reasons that we've seen such shekel strength uh, over the last uh, month or so, because we are going to open our economy before anyone else in the rest of the world, and our economy is good. So that's why we've had shekel strength. On top of that, we've had the weakness of the other currencies as well. So it's not just shekel strength, but also dollar weakness. Everything that's going on in the United States, from the impeachment to the riots to everything that's going on there, the terrible uh, new cases that we're finding in the US, um, especially in in California is terrible. Um, All that combined, yeah, everything like that combined is is weakening the dollar as well. So, and obviously in the UK, you know, we've got bad figures in the UK, although I believe they're probably second in the world at the moment for uh, numbers of vaccinations are doing quite well with it, although well behind Israel. Um, so that's the right. reason of the background. Europe. Uh, I mean, I think Britain has given more world. vaccines. Yeah, Britain's given more vaccines than the 27 countries of the European Union collectively. And Britain is way behind us. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the, the biggest reason for right. the low rates. Now, um, Thursday morning, you know, as you say, it was 3.11, the lowest. I've seen it in the 15 years I've been doing it in Israel. Um, and uh, then around three o'clock Thursday afternoon, uh, the Bank of Israel, as we know, they had been 
Into, over, over the last 15 years, they've always been intervening in the markets to try and control the, uh, the value of the shekel. They announced, they did not intervene, but they announced that they intend on um, purchasing $30 billion with the, the uh, exchange rates. Um, right. Why is that so significant? Because in the last year, in 2020, they only bought 20 billion. So they're going to be buying it another 50% of what they bought last year. But they haven't done it yet. So this is the cheapest way that they could have influenced the markets by saying, yeah, it's just words. I was so shocked when you just told me, I assumed they'd, they'd spent some money and bought dollars. When I, so I said to you before we did this, uh, like, you know, they must have been a big intervention. You said, no, they, they just talked about it. Look, it wasn't instant. Uh, it went from 3.11 to 3.18, 3.19 um, on Thursday. And then on Friday, it then jumped up again uh, to the 3.27 that we see right now. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's all on words. But it's the, it's the intention that's been shown by the Bank of Israel. They, previously, they said, look, we can't interfere with the exchange rate. It's just not going to happen. And now they're saying... We can't let this happen and continue, and we are going to prevent it from, you know, falling. I mean, our exports uh, rely so heavily on the value of the shekel. As the rate comes down, our exports become very expensive for people to buy, uh, which will right. eventually a harm on our exporters and the economy as a whole. So it is an important factor for the economy. Um, and this is true. that's why the Bank of Israel has got to take it seriously now. 3.11 looked like it was going to head towards three, and now we're back to the heady heights of 3.27. So, um, the dollar is still very low, the shekels are very strong, but yeah. relatively, but, but, you know, you're talking about six, seven percent hike in two days just from some words by the Bank of Israel. So, it just shows right. you what can be done. Um, and that's that's the whole story. Where, where we go from here now. Uh, is anyone's guess? Um, uh, will the markets, you know, think, oh, you know what, that was only talk. Let's wait and see when they actually do start to intervene and then we'll react again. Or will they continue to think, you know what, the Bank of Israel is really serious about this and uh, the Shekel needs to uh, weaken even more. So only time will tell, but that's the whole story of what's been going on. You've talked often about psychological uh, levels. 3.3 whatever it was so now that the, the, the dollar is back at 3.27 do those barriers come back in 3.25 3.2 or is it so volatile right now that if it starts to sink it'll just crash again look um often you would see a bit of a correction so when the market moves so quickly in one direction uh, you often see a bit of a correction but my my feeling from here is if we go above 3.3 in trading on Tuesday, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day uh, in the United States. Right, so, um, right. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay. So um, when Tuesday the markets open, um, I in the US time, I think we'll see the next direction. And if it goes above 3.3 and then stays there, then 3.3 will become that kind of level that it needs to break below again to push back down. Um, so I think that's the next key target area. I hate to push you for a uh, prophecy, I mean a prediction, um, <laughs> but you've been pretty good so far the last few months. Do you think you'll go above 3.3 uh, in the coming days? Uh, I do, yes. 
That right. would be very well, wrong. If this comes, if this becomes, uh, this could be three point two as, as well very easily. But I, I get the feeling that three point three is very realistic. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that on the daily videos, which you can find. Uh, they're very short, and you'll find them on Israel Transfer Facebook page and the Israel Transfer LinkedIn account. And we're going to put this obviously with the weekly uh, podcast that's going to go up there. And uh, Daniel, hopefully, we'll see you on the we hear you on the podcast most weeks. You give us a little uh, a little summary. So uh, we'll hopefully we'll have you back on next Sunday for that. But thank you very much for this in-depth uh, analysis. Really useful and really interesting times for uh, currency exchange. Absolutely. Have a great week. Good to see you back on your feet. Thank you. Thanks again to Daniel. And if you need to buy or sell shekels, then please visit www.israeltransfer.com where you can organize your money transfer to and from Israel. And you can also get in touch with the Israel Transfer team from the website, as well as from the Facebook page, I should add. I'll be back at the start of next week with another Israel News podcast, as well as the daily Israel Transfer shekel rates and analysis with Daniel on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Thank you for staying with us. Um, shalom. The Lahitra Ot from Israel.